0: The Gospel's response to hedonism, what a great passage from Amos, a shepherd prophet, um, speaking God's word in a time of luxury. I think when most people hear the word hedonism, the first thing that might come to mind for them is sex, but that isn't really uh, what hedonism is about. Hedonism is defined as belief in pleasure as the highest aim, the greatest good. And whether that pleasure comes from food, or drink, or sex, or stimulating conversation, or deep friendship, or satisfying work, or the fascination of discovery, or chocolate ice cream. The pleasure itself is seen as the highest goal in hedonism. Pleasure itself is a proper aim, hedonism would say. My guess is that not many people in Canada today apart from joking, would actually define themselves as hedonists. Um, They might not even say they would espouse to hedonism. But the question is, what does the evidence of our culture suggest? There is a, a global think tank on poverty that has suggested that $20 billion could provide clean water to the whole world. 20 billion, while well, we in North America spend more in ice cream annually than that. What does the way we spend our money say about what we value? Uh, really, the question is the same as it was in Amos's day. My guess is not many people in his day would have called themselves hedonists either. But the truth is, we can ask ourselves, and of course Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. When we look at the amount we spend on entertainment, spa services, what does it say about us? How are we doing at attending and alleviating the great challenges of suffering of our own day? We actually live in a culture that resists any constraints on the pursuit of personal pleasure, something that was certainly true in Amos's day as well, around 760 years B.C. Amos was a shepherd uh, coming from Judah, which was the southern kingdom. The kingdom had split into two at that point, but his message was primarily for Israel in the, the north. Um, It was a time of peace and prosperity. It was a time, actually, of extravagant indulgence. And it was a time marked by judicial corruption and oppression of the poor. So Amos spoke out against a functional hedonism. Well, his message then was about as popular as it would be today. After all, we don't like people critiquing our pleasures. What right does anyone else have to say something about how I spend my money and time? What right does someone else have to say what's right or wrong when it comes to pleasure? Our culture has a a strong message today that if it just involves me, if it feels good, why not do it? Now, if we're honest, part of this actually resonates with us. We have a sense that we experience pleasure and that's a good thing, whether it's a bottle of of lovely wine shared with friends or a fudge lava cake, uh, the, the pleasure of human touch. We experience pleasure as good, and so it must be good. And if pleasure is good, why not the ultimate good? If we've only got one life to live, why not cram it with as much pleasure as you can? Well, the ancient wisdom of the Bible is that pleasure is actually indeed good, but if it becomes our ultimate good, if it becomes our God, pleasure will be like any other idol. It will consume us. Both individually and as a society. This is what the Bible comes back to time and time again about idols. They will consume you. So whether it's alcohol, sex, money, work, music, even family and friends, when these things that bring pleasure become gods, they consume us. And we see evidence of this every time we open up a newspaper, turn on a computer. A politician who has at the height of his career has lost everything because his sexual appetites had come to rule him. People whose marriages are destroyed by alcoholism or workaholism. People who've become pers- uh, consumed with the pursuit of the latest, the tyranny of the latest, the latest iPhone, the latest luxury car, or mountain bike even. The growing percentage of young men in our Canadian culture whose psychologists tell us today have become addicted to porn, it's now interfering with their ability to form healthy relationships. All of these tragedies, they really point to the way in which something that began as a pleasure came to rule. And the effect is lived out not just, of course, individually, but corporately. In our shared life. From its earliest beginnings and certainly growing out of Judaism, Christianity has called its members to practice holiness in response to hedonism. Holiness is the gospel response. But don't look for a rule book. Holiness is better uh, attached to the word purity. It's taken on some odd connotations, this word purity, but the Oxford Dictionary defines the word pure as being of one element. Pure gold. A pure musical tone, is how I like to think about it. Unpolluted by other things. Sometimes in the history of the church, purity has been equated with chastity, but the Bible actually paints a much bigger picture um, when it comes to the purity of holiness. It challenges us to be pure by being made up and focused on one thing. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. The Bible talks about depths of holiness, and at each level there are questions we can ask ourselves, both individually and as a society. The first level might be our actions. Does this behavior please God? A second level might involve our motives, the intention of the human heart. Does my thought life, my goals in life, do these please God? A third and deepest level of intention involves our character. Does who I am please God? Now this is not to be confused with the love of God. The love of God is demonstrated time and time again. is a given for us. Uh, He loves us despite uh, our brokenness and our sin. Uh, If there's one thing scripture says, it's that. But if we're parents, we know that our love for our children doesn't necessarily mean what they do Uh, their intentions, or even who they are becoming, pleases us. The three levels, of course, of holiness are inextricably, they they impact and affect each other. As a follower of Jesus, uh, holiness is something to be lived out in our thoughts and our words and our deeds. This deeper level Uh, is actually what Amos was critiquing. He was critiquing that the people were caught up in a functional hedonism that meant, did you catch it? They were not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. A euphemism for, they were no longer grieved at where their culture was going. What they were becoming as a people They were no longer grieved with the things that grieved God's heart, things like injustice. How on earth can we resist hedonism? What is this path to holiness? Well, you know, the ancient Christian practices in the life of the Church have been threefold. Self-examination. Examining our thoughts, our words, and deeds. You know, when we say the words of the confession, because that's the second Step, we are actually to be examining these things. Confession and repentance is required of us. Admitting where we've fallen short and turning back to God. And the third is actually walking in the ways of God, as shown to us in our Lord. Our lives will either honor or dishonor God's name. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, he went so far as to write this. Put to death whatever in you is earthly. He describes very concrete things we'd all recognize. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. He said these things need to be stripped off as, as part of the old self. Having clothed yourselves, he says, with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the creator. There are indeed things that I think as Christians we have to say we shouldn't have any part of. Pornography, gossip, excessive drinking, sexual immorality, foul language, stinginess, greed. We ought to be able to say these things do not have a part. We should run from them. But we also need to nourish ourselves in those things that actually grow the kind of holiness God seeks. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes, Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable. Think on these things. Likewise, in the letter to the Ephesians, we read, Be imitators of God and live in love. Find out what is pleasing to God. Live as children of light. And be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Live in a countercultural way. Of course, so many of the biblical writers come back to this time and time again. Peter wrote, As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Live justice and compassion. May it impact your wallet. James said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Don't be double-minded any longer. A final quote I want to leave you with is, is more recent. Peter Kreeft, a professor of philosophy at Boston College, wrote in Back to Virtue, A pure will loves God with the whole heart and soul in mind. It is the greatest compliment a lover can give. I love you with my whole heart and soul. My love is not divided. You have no rival. May God, by his Spirit, alive and at work in us, lead us deeper into holiness based in such a love as that. Joined together and singing.